The context is sacrifice. And Jesus Christ gave all. We really won't understand fully here on earth what Jesus Christ did for us, what God the Father did for us. In the context of the evil of Satan and his attack on God's most precious creation, it took a tremendous cost and price. And Jesus calls us all to that same, that same sacrifice because that is the way. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me, but by that way. And that is what the call to follow Christ is about. Yes, it's fun to be together. It's fun to have lunch together. It's fun to, to be the body of Christ. But when the going gets tough and there isn't anyone that you think would stand with you, that's when it really becomes aware that we are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body in this lifetime. That's the only opportunity we have is this lifetime to follow him. That's the call of Jesus Christ for every one of us. And it's not just a, yeah, I'll sign up for it. But it is that which we lay down our lives, even as Jesus did. And it doesn't mean we do this just out of our own fleshly desire to make us look good in front of other people. Because it doesn't matter. Who sees knows the hurt, the cost the price of us following Jesus Christ, both to ourselves and to those things around us. Jesus says, come, follow me. Follow me. Peter was at that place in his life. That's what you heard in Tock's testimony. There is a cost. So that's what I mean. How many of you would dedicate a finger, sacrifice a finger? But this is what's happening with many, many Christians worldwide. We have it so easy here in Japan. My friends in America say, how could you be a missionary? How could you be a pastor in Japan? That's a difficult country. Well, Katie and I love being here. And it's not very difficult. It's too easy. In fact, the problem here is that it is too easy living in Japan. So the cost is for us to lay down our life and be willing to do that because he gave all for us. That is being a Christian. Laying it all down and say, whatever your will is, I'm willing to do that. Okay, was that a lead in to the message? Uh, yes, I think it was. This is the revelation of Jesus Christ and the ark of his temple. It's in Revelation 11, the last verse. 
And again, we'll read this together and we get this in our hearts. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of the prophecy and heed the things which are written in it, for the time is near. We're closer to the end than we think. And this is the beginning of the end. In other words, at chapter 11, you might not have noticed it, but if you read through Revelation several times, you'll begin to see that when you get done with chapter 10, there's a subtle shift from chapter 11 to chapter 19. And that's when there's a clash between the kingdom of God and the kingdom of hell and the kingdom of this world. And so that's why most people, a lot of people avoid Revelation and particularly in these chapters where it gets very nasty and even worse than nasty. It becomes demonic and you wonder what good can we get from these chapters and what's happening. It is so back and forth. But we need to grasp one picture and one picture only here this morning to prepare ourselves to go forward in Revelation. We've already covered the first two verses with the measuring rod. God always calculates what his parameters are. He has the parameters that he wants us to live in. The two witnesses. God always has witnesses. Why? Because there's a dying world that needs to hear about Jesus Christ. And that's what these two witnesses are. And that's what we are. Or at least that's what we're supposed to be. That's what we were saved for. And then there's the seventh trumpet, which sounds loud and it gets louder and louder. And then finally in verse 19, the ark of his temple. And I want to just describe the ark is in two parts. You know what we talk about as far as the ark? The ark has an awesomeness about it. It's much more than what we see with our eyes and we are called to draw near. What is the ark? The ark is basically a picture, a demonstration of what God's sacrifice is for us as human beings. Then God's temple in heaven was opened and the ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. And that's what John saw in a vision. What did he see? He saw this, the ark of his temple, where this is clad in gold, the lower part, which was a box, which contained three items, the manna that God had given them, a sample of that, and the law, which God had given them in two tablets, and then Aaron's rod, just three articles. But all of them spoke of Jesus Christ. And then the upper part was the lid with two cherubim with wings tip to tip, overlooking what is called the mercy seat. 
This piece of the ark, the top, was solid beaten gold. Even the cherubim were beaten gold. They weren't heated up and cast into a form. It was carefully beaten out gold to produce the two cherubim. This was what they called the mercy seat. What is a seat? Well, there's seats of government like Tokyo, but it's not that kind of a seat, but it is central and the most important. And you are sitting in a seat. And this is what John saw, the mercy seat where God was. That's the only glimpse in this picture that John describes. He doesn't describe what I'm doing right now, but he is saying he saw the ark in heaven, in the temple. That was enough for anyone who has read the Bible to know what John was talking about. He saw the very place, the center of God's being. That's what that one verse says. Then God's temple in heaven was opened. Okay, you see the clouds or the smoke come back and cleared and John saw and the ark of his covenant. All of these words have meaning to them. The ark of his covenant was seen within his temple. And there were flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and heavy hail. A lot of chaos in that. When God first gave the law, it was the exact same situation. When we see God, what's it going to be like? Just beauty and light and bliss and floating and... No. There'll be thunder. There'll be... Sorry, I just woke up some of you. Sorry. There will be thunder and crashing. and Because why? Because God's energy and power and who he is, his righteousness, his glory, is so overwhelming. John could not have finished his book and stopped right there. All it was was seeing this picture. And the one frame went by, and that's what he described. We don't have that sense of God, do we? In fact, sometimes we equate him with Santa Claus, a gentle old man sitting on a chair with children on his lap. No, no, no. That is not the God of heaven. He is creator. He is savior. He is redeemer. He is gracious. His mercy endures forever. I mean, we could go on and on and on. So there's an awesome display. Just as I said, in Exodus 19, you can read that. How much more? But when Christ appeared as a high priest, of the good things that have come. Then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation. 
he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, through securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. So let us draw near. And this is the key. And this is what I want to share with you. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which he has consecrated for us through the veil, that is to say, through his flesh. And what is that speaking of? It's speaking of the brazen altar, the cross where Jesus Christ gave himself for us. And his blood was taken for our sanctification. This that John is describing, the ark in the temple, is really going back to the tabernacle and the way in which this speaks of the work of God through Jesus Christ in actuality in heaven. The Israelites saw the tabernacle and the brazen altar and the laver and the lampstand and the showbread. They, they saw these things. They handled them. They had them available with them daily. But none of them had seen the actual. And what they actually saw and heard was the thunder and the lightning and the incredible power. But what they needed to see was that the God of heaven, the creator, the giver of life, had come and set himself at war with sin, with our sin, to overcome and to overpower that power of darkness that is at war in our hearts, in our lives, to bring us to himself. And that required a tremendous, tremendous amount of power and demonstration of power. And it came through Jesus Christ on the cross. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, Number two, let us draw near with a true heart. Number three, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. And step five, and our bodies washed with pure water. In all of our lives, if we're coming to Christ and to sanctification, becoming one of his, there are five steps the cross, the blood of Jesus, number one, that brings us into a relationship of acknowledging Jesus Christ. That is step number one in anyone's life. You have to remember, you have to acknowledge the cross in order to be a Christian. There is no other way. You can't do it by good works. You can't do it by just being a good guy. You cannot make it without acknowledging the cross and that Jesus Christ died for your sin as the great high priest. And so we draw together with having acknowledged that 
make my heart clean. I understood that as a 12-year-old boy, that I was a sinner. Make my heart clean. That was the thing that I prayed. There were two points I had in my prayer. Make me clean. Give me a true heart. And make me a missionary. I didn't even know what a missionary meant. But that is essential for our salvation. You can't skip that part. If you skip that part, you are going to hell. I don't care how good you are or how many friends say, oh, she is the greatest or he is the best guy I've ever met. That doesn't count. What counts is, have you received Jesus Christ and his death and substitution for you? It's not your goodness. It's his. And if you skip that, you are not a Christian. And if you insist on it, we're going to pray for you that you come to that place where you see your sin and what Jesus can do with that. And then step number two is, let us draw near with a true heart. In full, number three, in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Okay? Bless you.